From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, fine people. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson. To all of you around the world tuning in from Amalfi to Adelaide and County Cork to Anoka County in the old, old 612. And to those of you in Oahu or in OHIO, anyone on Route 66 or Route 66, depending on what part of the United States you're from and how you pronounce that, it's great to have you tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show. I am joined in studio, as always, by KC over in the booth, and Rob the Rocket right next to me. Rob. Yo, yo. Rob. Like the song uh, went, get your kicks on Route 66. Get your kicks there. Yeah. That's it. Have you ever traveled any of it? I have not, always wanted to do that. I have. I have, especially the stretch down in the Southwest U.S. and so forth. And, I mean, it's just cool. I mean, it, you know, anytime you go off highway, even on highway, but especially off highway down in the Southwest U.S., to me, it's like the just it's the to me one of the, the most beautiful parts of the united states it's great i've done the los angeles to las vegas trip great ride. car that's yep. fun and i've done las vegas to uh, hoover dam when there was a lake mead oh wow <laughs> it's, it's a nice <laughs> yeah. it's a nice ride uh the changing water levels of that area of the world all right well listen uh it's great to have everyone listening in today we've got a great show ahead we've got rochelle and rochelle has a problem that i think is there's a universality to it. I think every one of us has been there at some point or another, but there are some wrinkles to it. So let's uh, let's hear it, Rob. Go ahead. You got it, Sven. Uh, Rochelle wrote to us and said, Hi, Sven. I'm currently in a two-year relationship with a man who I think I need to leave. At the start, he was everything I wanted. I left an abusive marriage, and I felt like I had finally found a good person to spend my days with. I got with him immediately after my marriage ended when I was, as I realize now, in a very vulnerable state. Ever since my kids and I moved in with him, he has slowly started changing. It's his way or the highway, and he doesn't let me ever have my own opinions and insist that I am arguing any time I disagree with him. He is passive-aggressive, whiny, and controlling. Even with all these red flags coming up and the feeling inside telling me to run, I can't help but feel like I am asking for too much and that once I leave, I will regret my decision. Anytime I have tried to leave, I always get that panicked feeling and then end up going back. I know in my gut he isn't the person for me. So Sven, can you help me to understand why I can't seem to leave? Thank you so much for taking the time to read this. Signed, Rochelle. Hello, Rochelle. Hi, Sven. Good morning. Good morning to you. It's a great day to be alive, and I'm so glad you're on the show. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, from BC, Canada. Oh, I love my Canadian people. I do, I do. So it's great to have you here. Let's just dive right in here. Tell me about the vulnerable state that you were in uh, when you left your marriage. I think just, you know, leaving a, a very long-term, very abusive relationship and, um, you know, kind of the first person that comes around and is nice and kind of gives you the the bare minimum, but it seems like a lot, you know, um, if you're used to one little getting, you know, I, I know I've read before, you get one crumb and now you got two and you seem like you're, you're the richest person in the world. And, um, and just not taking that time to, you know, have some time for myself. It was just, you know, very, very hard time um, leaving a, a long-term abusive relationship. So just not thinking clearly, not, mm -hmm. not in my right mind mm -hmm. at that point. 
Yeah, we've all been there. We have all been in that place where you're used to getting so little that uh, to get even some, as you so well said, it's just like it's rain in the desert, you know? Um, so I get it. And so if you were to sort of characterize that vulnerable state, if you were to put it, what was going on inside of you as a result of that long-term abusive relationship where you obviously weren't getting love such that when you did get crumbs, it felt like a lot. So how would you describe that vulnerable state inside? I mostly felt what? Just any sort of attention was just, it felt so good. You know, somebody seeing me and, you know, oh, you're so funny or, you know, you're so pretty. And But why did it feel I, good? Like, because I felt so what? Before getting the attention. Depleted. depleted. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good word choice. I mean, that really paints a picture. So it's really, I, I mean, uh, an empty love cup. I mean, that cup was bone dry, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And so then to get anything, any sort of love poured into that, even bits and pieces, uh, you know, uh, felt terrific. It's interesting. Then you go on to say he has slowly, but ever since uh, me and my kids moved in with him, he has slowly started changing. And so let me ask you, if it was our, if it was just crumbs in the beginning, is it that you started getting even less than crumbs? Or is it that you became aware that when you guys moved in, you became aware that, holy shit, it only is crumbs or in terms of the kind of love that you were getting, because you said it was only a little bit of love in the beginning. It felt like a mm. lot, but in retrospect, yeah. gee, it was just crumbs. So then what changed when you moved in? Is it that all the other bad stuff came out or I became aware that it really wasn't that much love to begin with? Or it, how did the nature of the love and the crap that went with the love, did it change or did you just become more aware of it? I think a bit of both. Like, I think I'm, I'm seeing it more like, you know, living with somebody or with them, you know, more. And, you know, you get into the sort of day-to-day drudgery of why aren't you doing the dishes? And, you know, why are you helping vacuum the, the dog hair? Like stuff like that. And um, yeah, I think it's just more, more time together, seeing it more, um, more frustrations just from day-to-day life and, and kid stuff. Um, and then seeing how somebody responds to, to hard situations, which you don't really see that much in the beginning. Cause you know, it's, it's easy to act like you're on your best behavior at the start and then you kind of get pulled in and then, you know, now you're living with them and you kind of realize, Hey, they don't they actually don't handle things very well. And they're actually very quick to very quick to anger. And just out of curiosity, um, how does he treat your children? Good, but I'm starting to see little, little glimpses of, of, of not good, like very, very small things of, it's starting to change with them. Uh-oh. Just comments about, you know, kids wrecking the house and things like that. Comments to you or to the kids? To me and and to them. Okay. How do you respond when he says things to the kids? Not well. Not well. You don't respond well. See, this is a hard thing. So many of us have blended sort of families. Now, he does not have kids. Is that, am I correct? In- he does not. Okay. And, and nonetheless, it is a blending of a family. You are ultimately bringing someone into, he had his own existence, which was him. He was his family. And now he is blending with you. And it's hard when you're a parent and it's hard when you're not the parent, when you're the other person, what really are the parameters regarding children? And so was that, and it's okay if it wasn't, but was that discussion ever had? Uh, it's kind of, we've had it kind of on and off about kind of how that works. And, you know, if he's going to be in our life, he has to have some sort of a, a say, obviously. And he can't just, you know, he, ha- he has to be included in those things, which I get. 
Um, but it's the, you know, the comments of uh, things that kids can't help, you know, like kids wear and tear things. It's just how they go and they forget the door open and they're, my kids are little. So um, just things like that. So it, it, it's hard for me to hear those things because it feels like judgment. To me. A judgment, judgment of them or of you? I, I, I think of my parenting. Uh, or lack of parenting, uh, if that's what it's being looked at like. Yeah, I see, I see, and and it hurts. So it's not that you worry that it's going to harm the kids per se. It's that it hurts. I feel like I'm a bad parent when you criticize my kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so then okay, so then we're dealing with an issue inside of you, and that can be dealt with. Um, and you know, then you need to in your journaling and so forth, you need to be looking at what's going on inside of me. Why am I feeling this way? And it's not bad that you feel that way. It's not bad. It's a normal response. But um, anytime we are being triggered, we need to look at that. Anytime I'm feeling uh, crappy or hurt or offended, I need to look at that. And I need to flush it out, if only for my own sake, so that I'm not carrying around crappy energy. Okay. Mm. As my mother used to say over her 90-some years, she would always say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's yeah. how you say it. And just out of curiosity, how are his messages, the ones that are, you know, uh, correcting of your kids or maybe scolding of your kids, how are those messages being conveyed to the kids? Is the how okay? Do you have any, do you really have mostly an issue with what he's saying or how he's saying it? I think the how or the, the times when, you know, I've explained this to friends of like, it, it's like somebody can say something to you without saying it to you, you know, like, um, you know, if you walk around and say, oh, this house is such a disaster all the time. And, you know, it's like you're kind of saying that person is, you know, a messy person or that they don't clean up enough. Like those kind of, you know, reading the subtext of what somebody's saying. So Agreed. he does a lot of those things. Agreed. Yeah. I agree with you. And so let me ask you then, how could that message, the same message, be conveyed in a kind way or a way that you would be more receptive to hearing it? Or are you not receptive at all to anything that might say, you know, you're doing a bad job. In other words, well, let me just ask a point blank. Is there a way that same message could be conveyed where it wouldn't hurt so much or where you'd be open to hearing the message? Yeah, I think just just directly, like not not in a passive aggressive way. So give me very, an example. Give me an example. I need the house to be a bit cleaner because I feel like from him, you know, I need the house to be a little bit cleaner because I'm I'm feeling a bit stressed out when it's when it's messy all the time instead of the walking around, you know, kind of throwing stuff and banging things around, tidying up, where it makes you feel quite anxious. Indeed. Because you know what the message is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And even better would be, uh, sweetheart, um, you know, I, I like clean house and I want to know, and I know you work hard to keep it clean, you know, and we're both chasing around a couple of kids. So I'm wondering if there could be a thing or two that I could plug into to help make it cleaner, um, to help you with that. Okay, so I'm in doing that, a and and you know I know you're focused on making it clean, sweetheart, but I want to plug in as well. So it's a acknowledging it, it's stating my point that I want a cleaner house, and it's also me uh, being willing to plug in and so sort of solve the problem that I'm complaining about because it's not like, hey, mm-hmm. I have a problem yeah. with this shit, fix it, woman. You know, I mean that's a yeah. bunch of shit, yeah. right? That would be like, mm-hmm. you know, in in our house, you know, I'm in charge of the outside largely, and my girlfriend's largely inside in charge of the inside. And there's some crossover, but that would be like her coming outside and saying, "Sven, this yard looks like shit." <laughs> like, yeah. Or are you drunk when you were mowing, drinking at ten in the morning? Okay, um, you know, it wouldn't feel good. Versus, Sven, yeah. uh, you know, can I help with the weeding? 
of the garden and things like that. Okay, um, so coming back to it then, we were talking about that depleted state when you came out of the marriage, right? And so you were very vulnerable. You called it a vulnerable state. And so in walks this fella who didn't have to really offer much, and but it sure felt good. It does. When we're coming out of a relationship, man, it feels good when you find someone who, you know, treats you like they give a shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a nice feeling. Let me ask you this. If depleted was what you felt walking out of that marriage, what is the word that describes how you would feel walking out of this relationship? Because you said at the very end, and you're very graphic in how you describe it, I can't help but feel like I'm asking too much. Uh, Something's telling me to run. I fear, or I will regret my decision. I can't help but feel like I'm asking for too much and that once I leave, I will regret my decision. Anytime I have tried to leave, I always get that panicked feeling and then end up going back. That panicked feeling. So if depleted is what you felt coming out of your marriage, what is it you would feel if you were to walk out today and say, you know, see ya, Buster, thanks for the nice memories. I'm out of here taking the kids and I'm going. What is the feeling you would feel tomorrow or next Wednesday or what have you? I think a big concern, like why I'm concerned about that I'll regret it is like how much of this is me? Like, you know, I try to reflect back on, you know, my marriage and how much of you know, the reason that ended was me. And then moving into this one, is it just the same reasons that it, you know, and then if I go into another relationship, is it the same thing's going to come up again? Like how much of this is just my stuff? Total legit question, total legit. And I want to attack that, but I want you to answer the question first because you didn't answer the question. Give me a feeling word. If looking back, you realize you felt depleted coming out of the marriage, 10 years from now, when you look back on coming out of this relationship, what will be the word to describe how you feel coming out of this relationship? I, I think a bit, I'd be disappointed that it failed. Like it's, that it was another, another failed one. Okay. Uh, so is this a failed one? I think so at this point. Yeah. And it is failed because why? Just total, you know, I, I think relationship is something that you're building all the time together. Mm-hmm. Like you're always, you know, you have a fight, you're learning more every mm-hmm. time. We're not, we don't do that anymore. It's mm-hmm. not, there's not an effort on on his part to learn. It's just kind of, everything's just pushed back on me now. Of I wouldn't be mad if you didn't make me mad. How long were you together, Rochelle? How long were you together? Uh, two years in this one. Two years. And biggest thing that you have learned about yourself in these two years is what? If there's conflict, I just, I take it on as it's my fault. I did it. Um, I shouldn't have asked for this or done that. And that I bend more than I, than I need to. I accommodate more than I should. And was that uh, conflict equals my fault? Was that mentality present in your first marriage? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So is it reasonable to assume that there are times in conflict when you are not at fault? Is that a reasonable assumption? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it reasonable to say every single conflict is my fault? No, I, I wouldn't say that's true. Right, right. That would be an extraordinary extraordinary set of circumstances where every single conflict is my fault. Right. Okay, so if you went into your marriage that uh, with that same mentality um, and you're coming out of this one feeling disappointed, is that, does disappointed describe how you're feeling walking out of that this, this relationship? Is that your biggest feeling? Because with the marriage, it was depleted. What is your biggest feeling you're feeling coming out of this relationship? Is, is it, I'm afraid? Afraid of being alone? Yeah, I think that would actually, that would be good. Yeah, afraid to be by myself. Because like I left my marriage, I was with somebody right away. So I've really not 
Um, I've not been untethered, I guess I could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels sort of just like floating out there. And and when you're floating uh, out there, you're not tethered, you're not sort of grounded or something like that. As you think about that, what is the scariest part? What are you afraid of? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, just not ever actually finding someone that's a good fit. And like, that's why I said in my letter, it's like, I don't know if I'm just asking for too much of a relationship. Like maybe this is just what relationships are. And I just, no, we're going to just take, we're going to take care of that right now. If you're with someone and they're passive aggressive, they're whiny, they're controlling. They don't want to talk out their problems. They make, they contribute to you feeling like it's all always your fault in conflict. No, that is not what relationships are, or rather that is not what good relationships with are. That is not a relationship that you or anyone wants to be in. no, no, it's not good. You don't want that. You don't, you're not asking too much. To be treated decently, to be spoken to in a way that is not passive aggressive, to be spoken with directly and to talk out problems and kindness and helping out and taking on my share of the blame in situations. I had a conflict just yesterday with my girlfriend. Our thing is, is, you know, we, we try to both try to stay present, but if one of us is tired or, you know, anxious about something regarding her business or my business or, or whatever, or kids or whatever, you know, sometimes we're not in the calmest place, but, and so if there's a little altercation, we take some time apart, then we connect, you know, by phone or in person or whatever, and we talk it out. I would not be in a relationship with anyone, friend, lover, family member, if they weren't open to talking out problems. So no, uh, this, whatever this thing is that you're in, no, you're not asking too much. No. Um, how much of this is you? You ask the question. Well, let's be really honest. Isn't it safe to say that if you had understood yourself better coming into this relationship, that there are things you would not have tolerated? If you were stronger and understood yourself better, there are things in this relationship you would not have tolerated. Is that safe to say? Yeah. 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 And so at the very least, how much of this is you is how much you've allowed. And very often, well, not very often, pretty much always, The reason we allow things is we've been conditioned to believe that I'm not important, that my voice doesn't matter, that I have to basically earn this person's love and I should be grateful to get it a little bit. In my book, I talk about uh, a relationship camel and it's where, you know, a camel can go a long distance on a little bit of water, you know, or fat in its hump, whatever. And uh, a relationship camel can go a long distance on just give me a little bit of love. I mean, you've gotten two years on crumbs, right? on a little bit of love. I'll I'll give you all this. Just give me this little bit over here, right? Well, that's a bad investment. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, where you're investing a lot and getting out a little, but you've been conditioned to believe that that's what love is, clearly, because you're asking, is this all I can expect? Whereas if you had been conditioned to believe, no, love is fulfillment, talking problems out, and you know, more, it's it's abundance, it's kindnesses, it's sorting through problems, not just trying to make them go away. It's not just blaming the other person, it's taking, it's taking responsibility, it's all those things. So I, I then hmm. have to ask the question, and we know it, that's not unique to this relationship. You specifically said that in my marriage, I was the same way, that conflict equals my fault, which means you were conditioned prior to that marriage to believe that. You were how old when you got married uh, in that marriage? Uh, 23. 23. I was 23 when I got married too. Okay. Uh, my first marriage. All right. And so when we're 23, you know, we're all idiots. Um, me more mm. than most. And uh, so, I mean, you know, some of it is just being young. But let me ask you this question. Where do you think you got the message in your life that 
basically everything's your fault. Then if there's conflict, it's your fault. Where the hell did that come? Where did that come from? How yeah. was, how was conflict treated in your home growing up? Just blow up fights and then nothing after, just silence and move on with life. And the blow-ups and then nothing and moving on. The blow-ups were generally between what your parents or between you and a parent or a sibling and between siblings or what are we talking about here? Um, everybody, my parents did it. We we saw it. It's my siblings and I are still like that to the stable. Fight, not talk for a couple months, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you want to grab a coffee? And then you don't talk about it. You just move on and never speak of it again. Okay. When you were involved in blowups growing up, or let me ask, were you involved in any of the blowups? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And in your blowups, were your blowups or the shared blowups mostly with siblings or with parents? Ah, uh, siblings. With siblings. All right. Uh, in your relationship with your parents, uh, what were messages you got about yourself? They didn't reflect things back to us about ourselves. Like I, I don't. So you were never criticized. You were never criticized or uh, told that isn't good enough or anything like that. We got a lot of the um, uh, "I'll give you something to cry about" messages when we were young. So if you were upset, it was like, "I can't handle your upset," so you know, stop it or. Okay, and what does a what does a child do when they're told I'll give you something to cry about? In other words, the underlying you talked about subtext, you talked about underlying messages earlier. You mentioned that. What is the underlying message a child gets when they're told I'll give you something to cry about? That you're you're upset. What you're upset about doesn't matter. That's right. That's right. Your feelings don't matter. And if we go a little deeper, ultimately, you don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. There's no room for your feelings here. But you said that your parents uh, did the blow-ups as well. So the one, it sounds like, isn't it interesting what you're saying? Uh, I'll give you something to cry about. In other words, certain feelings were allowed, actually, because you had the blow-ups, but your crying wasn't allowed. So everybody yeah. was allowed, anger was allowed in your home, but not sadness. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Yeah, that's true, yeah. Were uh, any of your parents, did anybody in your family have tears or crying? Did your parents, did you ever witness either of your parents crying? Yeah, my mom would, yeah. Uh, with some measure of frequency? Yeah, yeah, if there was a fight, she would she would cry. Okay, and just out of curiosity then, who did you get the message, I'll give you something to cry about from, mom or dad? My dad. Ah, well, yeah, because that would be very fucking hypocritical if mom's bawling after a fight, <laughs> yeah. which anybody does. You know, I've cried after fights. Nothing wrong with that. And then to turn around yeah. to little Susie <laughs> snot nose and say, hey, I'll give you something mm -hmm. to cry about, kiddo. Okay, so it's coming yeah. from dad. It's coming from dad. Yeah. So dad doesn't have room for your, for your tears and for your feelings. So dad is clearly conveying the message, your tears, your sadness, your feelings don't matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then isn't it reasonable to assume, doesn't that sort of give way to big fights? Because, you know, I, you've probably heard me say before, children shout loudest when feeling heard least, but it's not just children. If I'm feeling unheard in a conversation, I'll elevate my voice. Or if I'm feeling unheard, I'll make my point in a different way. In other words, there are, there's a longing inside each one of us to feel heard, to feel seen. Can you resonate with that? Does that... Does that resonate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. okay. And so then that would explain some of the blowups. Some of the kids, some of this, you know, moms and dads in that house at times didn't feel heard. And so there's these fucking blowups. 
So you grew up, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you grew up in a volatile home where there were lots of blow-ups by your own reckoning and where you weren't allowed to cry. And so and uh, so there was criticism of tears of softer feelings by your father. Uh, and did you ever hear your dad criticize your mother for her tears? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's clear, clear to say then in your home, the primary power source was your dad. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to dive further into that, but right now let's take a quick break. I'll be right back with more Badass Counseling. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at badasscounseling.com. My best friend made me listen to some podcast, said it had blown her away. So we listened to a lightning round of the Badass Counseling show together. All I can say is, wow, first podcast I had ever listened to. Now it's my addiction. If you haven't done it yet, you need to subscribe to the Badass Counseling show. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with Rochelle. Rochelle, we're talking about your father and these blow-ups and uh, him telling you your feelings aren't welcome. And uh, what sort of was the nature, briefly, the nature of your relationship with your father? Um, not, not very close. He was a drinker. He was a, a partier. He, was out a lot, so um, not very close with him. Okay, and never were growing up. Not a lot, and then he died when I was younger. So, how old were you when he died? I was fifteen. You were fifteen, and yeah. uh, just out of curiosity, um, how old was he when he died? Forty-one. Forty-one. Oh wow! Do we, what did he die of? May I ask? A uh, heart attack. Oh God. At 41? Oh, my Lord. I'm going to ask what could potentially be an offensive question, but it's not intended to be so. But you don't have to answer. You can tell me to go fuck a duck, all right? But but it's an honest question, all right? It's an honest question, but you don't have to answer. And it's simply this. Was it a relief when your father died? (sighs) Yeah, that is a tough question. Um, It was a relief that the stress was gone. Mm. Like for my mom, I I thought a little more for my mom because it was just she was just always having to deal with him and his, you know, drinking and everything. So I think it was, but yeah, definitely not something you want to, you want to say the relief of the stress being gone was, that was a relief. The relief of the stress being gone. And then you said for your mother, but I got to believe, come on also for you that, you know, this guy telling you, you know, I'll give you something to cry about and, and uh, so forth. I'm, it's still your dad. So I'm not disputing that. And your dad died. And, yeah. and children love their parents. Uh, and I say even more than parents love children, but that's a separate issue. But so there is still the grief. There was grief, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, the nice thing was you could now cry about it if you wanted to, because he's gone. He can't tell you. He can't give you something to cry about. He, but he did give you something to cry about. Um, did you cry? And not a lot. And my siblings and I talk about that. It was like when my dad died, we just, he was just gone. Like my mom never talks about him. Like it's been 22 years. My mom never speaks of him. He's just, do just you, gone. He do you and your dead. siblings speak of him? Do you speak of him? 
Not a lot. Why? I don't know. Why does the family, if you were to speculate, why does the family not want to talk about dad? Why is that? You know, I've sort of thought of that because it's like also in all of our houses, none of us have a picture of my dad. You know, like there's four of us and none of us have a picture of my dad up, which is kind of weird. Okay. And and let's let's assume it's not weird. Let's assume maybe there's a story there. What do you think the story is? Why do you think nobody has a picture up of dad? Uh, you don't want to say it, but yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of easier with him being gone. Like life is easier. Why didn't you want, why didn't you want to say it? Well, that's a horrible thing to say. Is it? If it's true, <laughs> I, is it horrible if it's true? I guess not. It just feels, I don't know. Just speaking of the dead like that, I don't know. It feels kind of odd, but yeah, it, it's okay. Because, we, well, because we're supposed to speak of the dead. How? I guess just respectfully and just remembering them. And and if they earn our respect, that would be a logical response. So the mere fact that the truth is, as it is, uh, says that he didn't earn the respect. Isn't that the point? Isn't the point that nobody has his fucking picture up because he was a dickhead when he was alive? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, if it's not true... You correct me. I do not mind being wrong. I just want to understand. I don't. I have no ego in yeah. this. Okay. Was your yeah. father? Let me. Well, let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. What percent was your dad? If you were to be totally honest, what percent was your dad a good dad, and what percent was your dad a bad dad? If you were to be totally honest and actually say it out loud, yeah, uh, it'd be low. Like I, honestly, I'd say less than five percent goods. Less that than might even 5%. be generous. And that might even be generous. Wow. Less than 5%. So that means yeah. uh, greater than 95% bad. Yeah. Huh. What does it feel like to say that? Yeah. It's heavy for sure. It is. Yeah. Heavy. I don't think about him a lot. Yeah. Well, why would you want to if he was that bad? So let me ask you this then. What was the, if you were to really distill it down or what was the thread running through it? What really was your father's crime against you? I think just not trying to to change being a parent. Like I know for me, like I challenged myself to, you know, be better with my kids and, you know, work on my reaction, stuff like that. And like, he just didn't, there was no, I don't know if he just didn't have the tools or what. What is the underlying message being conveyed to the child if the parent isn't even trying? That you're not worth the efforts. You're not worth trying to improve. That's right. You're not worth yeah. it. You don't matter. I don't care. <laughs> Go away. Yeah. 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 And so then what the child then, children filter everything through the lens of do I matter? Filter everything through the, the lens or the, the sieve of am I good or am I bad? Am I loved? Mm-hmm. Am I not loved? Do I matter? Do I not matter? I mean, it's really that simple. And you got the message loud and clear from the single most powerful person in your life. We've already established he clearly had the power in that home, right? Mm -hmm. From the single most powerful person in your life, you got the message, I don't matter. I'm not good. And also, this is what love is. Oh, God. Is it any wonder then that you walked right into a marriage that was abusive and uh, really bad. Is it any? No, of course not. You were conditioned to believe that this is what love is. And well, hey, at least I'm not getting hit in the face. 
You know, at least this one only punches me in the gut, you know, or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and you didn't mention physical abuse, so I'm, I'm extrapolating a bit there. But just out of curiosity, in your home growing up, was there physical abuse? Yeah, yeah. From dad to mom, from dad to kids, from mom to kids, what are we talking about? Uh, dad to mom and dad to kids. Ah, <clears throat> okay. Uh, when did your father die? How long ago? Uh, 22 years ago. 22 years ago. So that means today your dad would be 63. So your dad and I are roughly sibling ages because I have siblings well older than that. Um, so we were roughly the same age. And so when you were uh, 15, 22 years ago in the year 2000, that means you were born in roughly 1985, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can tell you as a matter of absolute fact uh, that in the United States, I know you're from Canada, but in the United States and Canada being even more progressive in some ways than the United States, that in the 80s and in the 90s, there were shelters, there were refuges, there were places for people to go when there was uh, abuse in the home. And so I have to ask the very hard question, how come your mother didn't get you the fuck out of there? I don't know. Like my, my mom, she did, like we left lots. Like we were, my parents were separated lots. Like when my sisters were born, they were, um, they were separated a lot, but it was always getting, they would always get back together though. And, uh, okay. They would always get back together. And just out of curiosity, where do you fall in terms of the kids? Oldest, middle, youngest? Uh, middle. Middle. Okay. But the bottom line is after they would get back together, the abuse continued, both verbal and physical. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Yeah, yeah, accurate. Okay, and uh, your dad was such a profoundly bad parent that he was less than, more than 95% bad. Yeah. Okay, uh, I don't mean to be even more offensive, I'm just really good at it. Um, but here's a question and it's an honest question just stated in with a bit of flair and it's simply this, is your mom stupid? I, I, I think often of my mom and why, you know, where she got her, her ideas from and her, her conditioning. And, you know, I think of her, her own childhood, which she doesn't speak about. Um, I don't think it was good though. There was a lot of kids and, okay. Um, but that now you, before you've even said you, before you've even begun to answer my question, you're prefacing it with an excuse of mom. Yeah. Yeah. You are excusing her behavior. And you know what? When we love our parents, that's the sort of shit we do. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And we already saw how much, how difficult it was for you to express your relief when dad died when he was an, uh, an abuser who was 95, over 95% bad and you still felt bad saying it. So we know that you already have difficulty saying the hard truths and that's okay. No disparagement. I don't dog you one bit for that because it's your fucking parents. Plus, if you're just a nice yeah. person in the world, you know, we all had that day in kindergarten. You know, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. You know, I get it. So I get it. Yeah. I get it. And I am in no way dogging you. Okay. But is it true? See, that's the question. Is it true? So, and, and, and you set up this, this, you know, sort of qualifier that, well, mom had a bad childhood. She never talks about it. What was mom conditioned to believe? Mm. All those things. Sure. Fine. Great. I understand. But remember your dad was 41 when you died. Your mom was roughly in the ballpark. I'm assuming forties, late thirties, somewhere in there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she was infinitely 
more powerful. So when she's having kids in her 20s and 30s or just in her 30s, whatever, she was infinite, well, it would have been 20s, infinitely more powerful than that baby, infinitely more powerful than that five-year-old. So whatever conditioning there might've been growing up, fine, get it. But nonetheless, you have an obligation to protect your kids, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't. She kept going back to the abusive person with the children. Accurate or inaccurate? Yeah, accurate, yeah. Right, right. And so what this means is that not only were you getting the message from dad, this is what love is, abuse equals love, and it's your fault, you little shit, you know, is implied mm. in the hits and in the yelling. You're the problem. You're the problem. That's how the child is interpreting it. I'm a piece of shit. I'm no good. I don't matter. All that. That The child is eating it that way because that's what he's being, she, he or she is being taught. You were taught that. You're just a little kid. Mm. You just wanted love. That's it. You came out of the womb beautiful. Every child comes out of the womb beautiful, wonderful. Children are fantastic. They only get conditioned otherwise, and you were conditioned. The shit that you believe now about yourself, that was all the conditioning. So, But not only did dad teach you this is what love is, mom normalized it. Yeah. She normalized it by allowing it. She normalized it by continuing to go back, that she was confirming to the child, this is what love is. She was confirming it and eating it. And think about the message she was conveying. Eating it, because she was eating it from your dad, correct? Yeah, yeah. The verbal and the physical abuse, she was eating it. And so she was teaching you, this is what love is. Let me ask you this, how extraordinarily uncomfortable are you right now? Oh yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> right, right. And this is heavy stuff. And so let yeah. me ask you, what are you feeling? What's going on inside you right now? We're talking about what I'm guessing is the mom, is your mom sort of the sacred cow of the family? Not to call your mom a cow, but you know the phrase sacred cow. Is yeah. your mom sort of honored, venerated, or do your, you and your siblings sort of not respect your mom or what? Yeah, honored, I would say, yeah. So then you saying these things is, how do, how do you feel? What's going on inside of you? Yeah, it feels like, ugh, you shouldn't say that about your mom. It's, yeah, it feels uncomfortable for sure. And yet, let me ask the question. And again, I set it up by saying, I have no problems being wrong. I don't need to be right. I need to understand you. So my question mm -hmm. is, are these things that we are saying about your mom, that she allowed it, that she went back to it, that she taught you that this is what love is, are these things true or untrue? Yeah, they're absolutely true. What does it feel like to know that your mom didn't protect you? Yeah, that feels, that's, that's hard, hard to think about. Yeah. And do you see then how you going into that marriage and you going into even this relationship makes total sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I want to bring it back then to the, the hurdle that you're facing. You explicitly state in your paragraph, I know in my gut that he isn't the person for me. That's a pretty definitive statement. So you're not really wrestling with, is it, is, should I stay or should I go? You know he's not the person. So when you ask the question, how much of this is me? In a way, I get it. I get that question. And that's a good question to ask. 
Um, but really, it really doesn't matter because you just said, uh, but I know he's not the person, regardless of how much of it was me. I know this guy isn't the person. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I could tell you are contemptuous of him in your descriptors of him. Uh, passive aggressive, calling someone passive aggressive uh, is, I, you know, I don't like that, it doesn't feel good, and then it's shitty how he deals. And calling someone controlling, it's like, uh, I really don't like that. But you know it's contempt when you call somebody whiny. Yeah. You look, yeah, they, it's just kind of, it's a, it's a word we use kind of when we're disgusted with someone, when we're contemptuous of something, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let me ask you then, if you were to be totally honest with me as a sort of rational adult and so on and so forth, if you were to see another woman, we'll call her Judy, and we were watching the movie of Judy's life, who's playing Judy, Rob? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. That's who it is. All right. I like that. We're watching the movie of Judy's life, and she has just, she's considering leaving a relationship. She knows the guy's bad for her, and she lived everything that you've lived for the last two years. And you're looking at Judy. And as you look at Judy, and Judy turns the camera and she says, Rochelle, what percentage of the stuff in this relationship is, is me? We're talking about Judy now. And you've got to answer her. You've got to look at the screen and answer her. It's an interactive movie. What percentage of the life that Judy is living, which is the life you've lived for the last two years, what percentage is Judy at fault? What percent of it is her? That's a hard one. I gotta. I kind of have to think about that one a bit more. Great, but. great. Use that big brain of yours and answer it. Give it a shot. What percent of it of the last two years is Judy's fault? What percent of it is her problems, her issues, and and so on and so forth? What percent is her? And what percent is the passive aggressive, whiny, controlling man? I think they're you know, they both have a spot. It's like, you know, especially after kind of talking, you know, with you about some kind of history stuff with me, it's like, you know, me getting into it is, you know, a big part of it. The reasons why I got in and why I stayed, but also there's, there's a fit component of it's just not the right fit of, of people as well. So. So what percent of this past relationship is Judy or you, as it were, what percent is you and what percent is him? If you were to be totally honest from your perspective, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm not necessarily looking for, oh, it's 50-50 or, oh, it's 100% here. Yeah. I'm just looking for, from your perspective, if you were to be totally honest, what is it? I wasn't in the relationship, so I don't know. I'm asking you. Yeah. Um, I would say it's about equal then because it's, you know, it's my stuff. And again, just just fit, just not a good fit. So not a good fit. about equal, I would say. Not yeah. a good fit, about equal. That's fair. It's a fair answer. Um, and anything would have been fine. Any answer would have been fine um, and not a good fit. All right. So you know then that this relationship's not a good fit. I don't like it. I don't want it. Um, but, and that, yeah, part of it was me. And the truth is, there's always something that I can work on on me to improve my next relationship. Well, we already know. We just learned today that part of what you need to work on is looking into the past shit and holy shit, what I was taught about love and what I was uh, conditioned to believe about myself by dad, but that mom confirmed. By going back, she's confirming that I don't matter. She's going back to that abuse. And so I, if you're gonna be really honest with yourself and you don't ever have to say word one to your mother, you don't ever have to confront your mother in order to heal from the wounds caused by mother, caused by father, okay? You don't ever have to change anything in your relationship with your mom today. However, your relationship with the mom inside of you, that has to be addressed. 
because that's the shit that's undermining you and the relationship with father inside of you because that's what's undermining you. Not just what they taught you about love, but what they taught you about yourself. You think so little mm -hmm. of yourself that you let someone abuse you for a long-term marriage. You think you know so little of yourself. You were conditioned to believe that you suck so bad and you're, you're so unworthy that you, you've tolerated doing your best, tolerating and trying to improve it, but with someone who doesn't want to improve it and doesn't want to own their shit. Is it safe to say that your uh, pain threshold in any future relationship, will it reduce what you're willing to tolerate? Will you uh, call shit out sooner, do you think? Or do you think you'll slip sort of back into the old pattern? I, I definitely want to to call it out sooner and, and notice that. Like my in my marriage, it was kind of complicated because you know I didn't I was financially dependent on on my partner. You know, there was some. I'm not anymore though. I'm you know I have a career and that. And but yeah, I think I think I would almost swing too far to the other side and just ex, you know not want to accept anything from people. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we're back to the hurdle then. You know it's not a good fit. You know he's passive aggressive, whining, and controlling. And in let me ask you this question. When you are alone, because we're talking about this idea of fear of being alone, afraid of being sort of out there and so forth, what happens inside of you? What voices rise up or what messages tumble around in your head when you are alone? I think there's just that, you know, lack of any sort of kind of confirmation from somebody that you're that you're anything special right there's just kind of nothingness it's so there's no confirmation rising up from within inside uh there's no confirmation of your specialness so then what is if i need that specialness coming in from someone else which is fine it's normal it's fine nothing wrong with that if i need that sense of specialness coming in from someone else it implies that that is i need it to come in to counter the message that is inside of me mm-hmm what yeah. is it? So then what is the message that's inside of you? If the message inside of you were, I am special, I'm a great person, I actually fucking like me. If that were there, you would need that external voice less, right? Which implies mm -hmm. there's some yeah. other message inside of you that rises up when you're alone, when you're not getting even a few crumbs poured into your love cup or whatever. Um, so what is the message that exists inside of you that you need a counter message to counter it? What is that message that rises up when you're alone in particular? I think just that you're like, you know, I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth being in a relationship with or, or doing work for, or, you know, putting the effort in for, and that's, that's tough. That's a tough one to, to accept. And just out of curiosity, okay, so I'm not worth anything is the message that rises up inside of you. It makes complete sense that you would then not want to be alone makes total sense <laughs> because then you're fighting yourself the, the shit rising up inside of you god it's terrifying it makes total sense that you would go back and it makes total sense then on one hand why mom kept going back probably something very similar maybe the financial component too but who gives a shit you didn't protect the kid but anyway um and so this message that comes rising up when you are alone of i'm not worth anything and, and then the fear of, will I ever have a relationship? All of this makes perfect sense. My question though is that message, the thing is we don't come out of the womb believing I'm not worth anything. Mm -hmm. Children embrace the world. Children come out open. Children are wonderful. So that means somewhere between the womb and right now, you are conditioned to believe that you're not worth anything. So who inserted that lie? Yeah, I think it would have to be my parents that put that in there. <clears throat> right, mm. right. 
So that means then in order for you to be in a better position for your next relationship, it's not about learning skills. I mean, sure, that can be important, but that doesn't solve the problem. That's trying to change surface your own surface behaviors. You have to go down to the core beliefs. And the core beliefs are, I'm not worth anything. And find the origins. Find the origins of that belief of, I'm not worth anything. Well, we nailed it today. You nailed it. You were willing to talk about it. And the more you go down there, and because that's been in the vault. You said, I don't even like to say this shit about the dead, or I don't like to speak this way, you know, about my mother. And I totally understand why. I mean, I totally get it. But you've kept it in the vault. These feelings, these bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself that were never true to begin with. It was never true that you're not worth anything. Well, I need to clear up one thing. Do you believe, yes or no, that a child is worth nothing? No, no, not at all. It's, it's insane to even consider, right? Yeah. Right. Because then you would, if, if, you, if you believe that to be true about yourself, that you weren't worth anything, then you would have to turn to one of your own children and say, you're not worth anything. Because you're opening the door that it's possible that a child isn't worth anything. So you're saying to me then, if I'm hearing you correctly, that when you were a child, you had worth, you had value, you mattered. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Yeah, accurate. Exactly. Innately, by being alive, by being a beautiful, loving, wonderful, creative, smart, playful, laughter-filled child, by simply being a child, you had worth. Accurate or inaccurate? Accurate. You're goddamn right. You got fed a line of shit that was never true to begin with. And that line of shit has been fucking up your relationships ever since. Yeah, yeah. And they fucked up. They fucked up. You know, mom may have been a loving person at times and giving you hugs and, and maybe good cook and, and, you know, supporting you in your schoolwork. I, I don't know. But the bottom line is they both fucked up. Hardcore. Yeah. Because they were wrong. It sounds like dad created the lie and mom perpetuated the lie. Mom allowed, Mom did not snuff that lie out. If anybody ever conveyed to one of your children that they didn't have worth, how would you respond? Not well at all. Not well. Now, I know sometimes yeah. Canadians are known for understatement. Um, so <laughs> when you say not well, what do you mean? <laughs> it would be, that would... That would, I, I would be pissed like that would, so I wouldn't accept that. Exactly. I would not accept it. I would shut that shit down. It's interesting. I just, uh, I just uh, posted a uh, post this last week. I actually, I think I put up last night, night before about the one question you have to be able to answer if you're considering having a child. And the one question is yeah. if, if this relationship goes bad, will I have the strength to, you know, if you're considering having a child, uh, will I have the strength to get my kid the fuck out or to protect my child above my own interests or above what I think my own energy levels are? And you're saying, hell yes, I would. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And your mom didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There was nothing wrong with you to begin with. You were taught to believe that, you know what your problem is? You're the problem. You just said it at the beginning. You said, conflict equals my fault. I, that's a summary of what you said, that if there's conflict, it's my fault. You were taught that you were the problem and there was never anything wrong with you to begin with. Do you see the problem there? Yeah, yeah. I am telling you that the key to this prison that you are in, this prison of believing everything's your fault, this prison of these sh shitty relationships, the key now 
is in your pocket. And the key is to go into the origins of this shit, the beliefs, that you, the lies that you were taught about yourself that got cemented into beliefs inside of you. There was never anything wrong with that wonderful little girl that you were. And there isn't anything wrong with you now. You're still a wonderful person. We just got to get that crap out of there. We got to get those viruses out of there. And the way to do that is to go into that vault and start allowing those feelings up, allowing yourself to look at those truths. You don't ever have to confront mom in real life. You don't. You literally don't. But you definitely have to confront the mother that was supposed to protect that fucking child. You definitely have to confront the father inside of you that was supposed to protect that fucking child and make that child feel worthy and loved and so forth. Do you see how doing that could have a radical transformation of what you believe about yourself and hence then affect your relationships? Do you see that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you, what's going on inside of you right now, if you were to be totally honest? Uh, it's intense. It's it's interesting too, like just to think about kind of where the, that, all that stuff comes from because you don't really you don't understand it right as while you're in it, where it actually comes from. You just think it's just kind of who you are as a person. So. Right. And it never was. Mm -hmm. So what do you need to do? And, and, and I'm not even talking about getting out or staying in the relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about for yourself and maybe to give you the power to move out or to, to, to overcome the fears or whatever. What do you need to do? What is the action step that you need to do now or next? Um, I honestly, I want to just kind of think about all the stuff that you said and exactly. just write out a lot of it and just kind of go into more details and poke at the stuff that kind of hurts. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what you need to be doing. And we, mm -hmm. we unearthed some massive shit from your life today. I mean, yeah. we pulled back this <laughs> giant stone and there's all these bugs and maggots and oh, Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And so you need to go easy on yourself for that, for sure the next couple of days. Just, just, we just turned your entire family myth upside down. We revealed shit that no one in the family has wanted to see or talk about because your family doesn't talk about stuff. And we started talking. We committed the, the mm -hmm. one grand sin. We talked about some shit, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Go easy on yourself the next few days. Have compassion for yourself. Um, but also, um, don't make any big decisions in the next couple of days. Just just let, yeah. this, let this shit soak in. And you also need to count on the fact that whether it's in your dreams at night or during the day when you're driving to work or you know maybe, ah, shit, I spilled that dish on the floor and you're bending over to clean it up and then you have some realization that new memories are going to come up. New old feelings are going to come up. You're going to have, because we've unearthed it. And once you unearth it, once you fundamentally state to your soul, I have the courage to look at it, which is what you did today. You, it took profound courage to do what you did today. And once you send that message to your soul, your soul says, all right, I'm going to send up a bit more. And then I'm going to send up a bit more, especially if you're doing the processing it of, it, of journaling and writing letters you don't send. And I would recommend that. Write a letter to your father. Okay. And, you know, whether you do it with a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or whatever, write a letter to your father and let it out. The, the mad, the sad, the glad, the whatever. And also write a letter to your mother. And you're going to end up writing these letters more than once, but write one to your mother that you do not send. You do not give to her because otherwise you're going to fucking edit it. All right? Yeah. Write it out. Flush it out. And, and that will help the exploration process of your journaling. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rochelle, Rochelle, you have been a fantastic guest. Very open very courageous. And I mean that 
I mean, you get now, when you hear me talk about courage, you get what the hell I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this was <laughs> gutsy stuff. So thank you so much for being on this show, Rochelle. You've been really an insightful guest and I, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, thank you. That was, that was awesome. Wonderful. To all of our good listeners listening all around the world, thank you for listening to Rochelle's story and sharing this moment with us. And I'm bidding you uh, just a fantastic time this week as you wrestle with some of the stuff from your past and you allow some of your stuff to come up. And I hope you'll do what Rochelle does and that you're journaling about it and writing letters that you don't send to send that message to your soul. I'm ready to take out some more. I'm ready to take out some more. On behalf of KC in the booth and Rob the Rocket next to me, I want to thank you all for tuning into the Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Mm-hmm.